We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And guys, today we're going to talk some D'Angelo Russell. Been wanting to talk D'Lo for a minute now. I think D'Lo is a, a bit of a study in the power of your last impression, right? They talk about the power of a first impression, but I think your most recent one, especially in terms of the ever-present narrative, quote unquote, uh, the, the last impression that you make sticks with people. And I think to the point where Dilo has gone under the radar in the like celebration of like, yay, we brought guys back. Like he was the team leader in net rating, right? That said, the series versus Denver certainly happened. And it's not the first time that he has really struggled in a playoff series. And so the questions about like, hey, where does where does he fit at the end of the road certainly persist, D. But I'd love to get into the topic of D'Lo. And where are you at with him? It's funny that you talk about the last impression. I took the sociology class way back in college. And they talked about the idea of like, when something goes wrong, and how long it takes to reverse the idea of like the thing going wrong and how that influences your decision making mm -hmm. moving forward. And like the example they talked about was like going to a restaurant and you go to this restaurant and you've been going to this, this restaurant for years and everything's great. And then you go one time and like the service is really bad or the food isn't good. And then your likelihood then to go back to the restaurant again, like like that had never happened, that changes. Mm -hmm. And you can't get that out of your head. And it, and the example way back then when I was in college was like, it'll take another 10 good experiences in order to erase oh, wow. the one negative one, even if you have had prior experience with that. And so D'Lo is sort of a case study in all of this, right? Especially because it was his second stint with the team. And so D'Lo is also one of those polarizing players in general. Like mm -hmm. there are people who, yep. who don't like him just for a variety. Like he is just not their cup of tea, whether it's decision-making on a play-to-play -play basis or just like what they expect from a player of his skill level to, to perform like. And, and so I'm happy to have D'Lo back. I think that in our pining for a skill guard, he was sort of, 
even though Austin was sitting there the entire time. Mm -hmm. It was D'Lo yes. who came to the rescue in a lot of ways. And Mike, I remember his first few games with the team. It was just like, oh, the Lakers have a guy who does this stuff now? Like, this stuff is going to be super useful. Mm -hmm. And is he a player who, who has his flaws? Sure. And is he the best defensive player? He is not. But he's a player who shoots it well, who passes it well, who doesn't need to be an on-ball player to be effective offensively. And there's a lot to like about D'Lo. I know you followed him a long time just because not only from he came to the Lakers when when you were there and you saw him sort of grow there. But I, I mean, before he came back, he was with Minnesota, which is another team that you follow pretty closely. And so I'd love to get your thoughts about D'Lo and the evolution of him as a player, but also sort of where he sits now within the context of these Lakers. Well, first of all, Darius, I remember my intro to social class uh, in college, and I think the example the professor used was like, "Has anyone here ever had a bad first kiss?" Like he was like trying to, you know, <laughs> trying to be hip or something or cool and relate to college. Uh, most of the women would have been freshmen at the time, and that that impression can certainly last. And I think the thing that, even aside from the basketball, the whole Nick Young thing, um, I really seem to have a pervasive like, like way that people looked at and talked about D'Lo and, and I don't want to get into the specifics of that but I remember at the time like talking to some people a little closer to it and thinking that that was overblown and unfair um sort of the way that it all got out but let's not relitigate all that now uh we have plenty of basketball and there are to, to look at and plenty of other things to look at and there are some on-court things about it that are fair um and you know I, the way that I've described D'Lo in the past is that he is he's somebody that sort of had to fend for himself in certain ways um, just to to be up to this point in life where he's at. Um, and he's got some big time allies, like including his brother, um, who's always with him. Uh, and but he in, ter in terms of like the NBA, as opposed to, I think, just fully you know trusting necessarily, like whether it's coaching staffs or um executives or ownership or anything like that. I, I think that he, in his experience, he's got to kind of, you know, trust himself first. And so that's how he plays basketball, but he does play a style of basketball that, is, that uh, at times can be very unselfish offensively, even if he can go get his own. So it's not, he's a complicated guy basically, but the, all of the way that he's discussed to me has gone too far past the point of what, of representing the skill set that he has. And yeah. a lot of that is just pass, dribble, shoot. He can do all, the, all three of those things really well. <laughs> pass, dribble, shoot. Now, there are other parts of basketball that are important that he doesn't do as well. And we saw some of the limitations of that come out in the Denver series. But, you know, the ultimate thing for him with this Laker team is that they needed skill and pass, dribble, shoot from that position, which was not there to the same extent before the trade deadline. And in related news, as Pete referred to earlier, he was a plus 12.2. Uh, net rating in the regular season so that I don't see a big reason why that would change a ton you know I'm not I'm not arguing that he's going to be a plus 12 again but he should be um, have a, a, a positive you know net rating uh, in that instance uh, and in the regular season because of the way that his skill set fits alongside not just LeBron and AD but Austin uh, who, who he has a nice little chemistry with I guess I could say that about almost anybody with Austin, but he he specifically is drawn to playing with and he likes that style that Austin has. So, Pete, my summary then would be I am higher on D'Lo than the collective, 
uh, while acknowledging some of the limitations to his game, which I think were reflected in the contract uh, that he signed, you know, relative to maybe what he was hoping to get from a league wide perspective. Absolutely. And and all of it's true. Right. And in an offseason where several guys got three plus year contracts, Delo wasn't one of them. He is basically on a, a one plus one. Um, that said, we've been fawning over Austin all summer. Their scouting reports are very similar. And from that yeah. shoot pass dribble type of perspective, man, Delo to me, like Delo's game and, and why it can falter at in playoff basketball is a very simple thing. Is it's if he's facing a guy that can athletically impact him, then he's gonna struggle. But if he's not, he's gonna cook him. So if you look at the Memphis series and you go back and watch the tape and the shot, a lot of the shots that he was getting, he started out a little cold in that series, but came around. And then in game six, he had like 31 points in a closeout game. And he's mostly being guarded by Ja or Tyus Jones. Now, Ja obviously is a great athlete, but it's in a speed and leaping ability sort of sense. D'Lo, in some ways, to me, represents one of the attributes I really like about this team is they're tall and they've got good length. And so Ja might be a great athlete, but he's not going to overwhelm D'Lo physically, right? And Tyus Jones isn't, isn't a plus athlete at that position either. Same thing happens in the Warriors series. He starts out in a matchup with Clay for a decent amount, and he's he gave Clay some some buckets, right? And you know, Steph, same type of thing. And then they put Gary Payton the second on him, who's a better athlete, and then that stifled him a bit more, right? And that said, D'Lo found still found ways to contribute. By the time we got to the Denver series, it was KCP and Bruce Brown who were generally the guys who were guarding him. And they have KCP is 6'5", and very active with long arms. He's not as physical, right? Uh, but Bruce Brown certainly is. And so I think that that is sort of the, the tipping point for D'Lo, D, of like kind of when his game can falter. And he's such yeah. a flow player that when he gets kind of knocked off of his axis – he can uh, like start missing the wide open threes, right? The ones that are swing, swing, yeah. open in the corner. Oh, he airmailed that by a foot, you know, like he kind of gets off of his rhythm. And so that said, though, all the stuff that we, you know, say about Austin is true about D'Lo's game, too. 100%. The thing I will say about the difference between D'Lo and Austin, and it's why I'm probably a little bit higher on Austin in general as a prospect, is that he has another gear that he can go to in terms of like acceleration, deceleration. Mm -hmm. And while Austin doesn't have a ton of athletic pop, he will rev his motor as high as it this can is a really go good point. Yeah. In any given possession in order to like get to the spot that he needs to get to. And then and then has the ability to slow down or play with touch in spaces where he was going really fast right before that. And it's just like, that's a skill that not a lot of players possess. And in comparing that to D'Lo, D'Lo plays one speed mm -hmm. so often, or his range of his range of speeds is not as diverse as Austin's is. Mm -hmm. and, and so D'Lo is hard to speed up, which is a fantastic trait to have as a player, but He's also hard to speed up. Yeah, like sometimes and you need so, to speed up. That would be helpful if you yeah, sped up. Yeah. Yes. And, and so he doesn't necessarily always have that gear himself to, to access. And so the opponent can't get him there, but he can't. He also can't always get himself there. And I thought some of the turning points for him in like the one game where I thought he looked 
like himself or look like, oh, he can compete at this level in the Denver series was I, I, it might have been game two or game three, but it was after there, his name was in the news a lot as being the target. And he came out and he just played harder. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, he this blocked is some, the dude. He blocked a shot or two. Yeah. He, he gave a couple of hard fouls. He ran hard in transition. Like there were just some plays where I'm just like, oh, he is into yeah. it. Right. And Mike, to me, he needs to act like that's the access floor. That's where the elevator needs to go to in playoff basketball on a more consistent basis for him. During the regular season, he can be a fantastic regular season player playing his exact game. He is so skilled and so talented that it's just like all of the reasons why he was a plus 12.2, that stuff's going to shine through during the regular season. But there's a distinction for him in playoff basketball, I think, that he's going to need to get to that more. And I think the stuff you mentioned about his contract, the reason why it's not necessarily there is because there are still those open questions there. So why don't we go to break, Mike? And when we come back, I want to hear your thoughts about these ideas and wherever else you want to go. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The way that you just described D'Angelo Russell, Darius, goes back to part of what I was trying to get at with the mentality. And when he gets on the floor, there's a comfort that he has in his own game. There's a comfort that he has in his handle and uh, where to see the floor. And, and he, I think that he almost 
not that it's fully realized for him, but he doesn't want to be sped up. He doesn't think that he should. He thinks that he should play at that pace. He thinks yep. that that's kind of the uh, the way that that basketball should be played. And he's very confident in that. He doesn't necessarily believe that there's something else that needs to be added. And I think that that the one subtle difference, and I haven't had this conversation with him. I'm not sure if LeBron has or Darvin Ham, and it doesn't mean that we're right because you know Russell's gotten himself to this point. But there is a level that it does tick up in the postseason, and it isn't always just about speed. But it's it's just that level of aggression going up. And I think that for whatever reason, D'Lo doesn't see that as copacetic always with the style that he wants to and likes to play. And so it's not that it's it's not that it's a, a lack of athleticism or like that. Who's who's faster? Right. If you just had them run straight line, D'Lo or Austin, it's like, well, I, I might think that it's Austin based on the way that I've seen them play in the past. But I don't know that. <laughs> like if you really just had them run a 40 there, I think there might be more in D'Angelo sometimes, uh, as you just referred to. So that's the. I'm not sure that at this stage of his career, though, he's only played 27 playoff games. All right. And he is 26 years old. I don't know for a fact that that that's something that he sees and agrees with. And it'd be an interesting conversation to have with him. But I do think that it's apparent. And I think that because Pete, there are some sort of bigger regular season games where I've, I think in Minnesota or in the past in Brooklyn that you've seen that same kind of thing happen where his game just sort of stays steady. And not everybody, but certainly Bruce Brown, right, is going to go up a level. And do you meet that or do you think, no, I'll 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 chill him back down to how I play. And I think it's like a it's a confidence that I appreciate about him. And I think that helps him in a lot of other areas of his game. But that it is something that shows up, I think, in in those big time type playoff games. Yeah, that's something that's always going to be present in the atmosphere of a big time playoff game. And so I'm all about the guy who's cool under pressure, who can make those sort of shots. And Dito is also that. That's part of what's so intriguing about him is ice in his veins. Yeah, man, he can hit some big time shots. And there is no there's no like level of basketball in which the shots required of him. He does not have the skill level to be able to make them. Right. And, And so even the bucket that he got in game one against Golden State, where we stole game one up there, they were on a 14-0 run. They'd switched to a zone. We had we had to play Vando because he, you know, he was guarding Steph, and we couldn't we couldn't score on their zone. And Dilo flashed into the middle of it, and Wiggins was the guy that picked him up. And so he's bigger than him, right? And but Dilo basically ends up getting a a 21 style bucket, right? Like the the playground game with 21 where you just got to score on this guy and it's like drop step pump fake bump into you off glass right and it was a really crafty bucket and god did we need that basket and it really kind of stemmed the tide of that and so to me like that's andrew wiggins who's a fantastic defender who does have that athletic advantage right over Delo and Delo had the skill and size and craftiness to be able to make it happen and so that whole idea of like Dito's game being in the realm of skill and being clever, that that's part of why I think some of the best of him has some similarities with Rondo. I'm really excited about this year's team, guys, because I think we can run more set plays because of the jump shooting being a lot more conventional with the rest of the league's talent. We can run a lot more set plays and kind of like dissect defenses in ways that it, there was never like 
a question of should we guard the Lakers in the paint versus should we guard them on the perimeter in the past? And uh, at least since the the title year when we would space out the floor with Danny Green and KCP and Kuz to an extent. But even then, right, like it, I, I don't think that overall and they play, we played bigger lineups with with JaVale and Dwight who weren't spacing the floor at all. Christian Wood adds a layer to this, but D'Lo, I think, can be part of the the brain trust of this team. And so I, I want to talk yeah. with you guys about, about that idea, D, of like, we've talked a lot about what D'Lo is not. What is he that that can get us to the next level? Well, one thing I love about D'Lo is his feel and understanding. And there's a time where, and it's funny because I think that's often look at, looked at as a demerit for him. Like when you listen to the national discourse, there's a lot of mistrust of his decision making on mm-hmm. any given play. I remember when he was with Minnesota, Mike, it was the year they made the playoffs after they won the play in game. Remember, Pat Bev was all celebrating their play in. He was on top of the uh, scorers table like he was Kobe celebrating the fifth championship. But there's Pat Bev and he's celebrating um, a birth to the playoffs. And. To me, there wasn't like friction within this, but Pat Bev was always someone who was just like, I can do more sort of like for that Minnesota team. It was like the leadership position that he was put put into. And I can't remember who they played in the playoffs, but as that playoff series wore on, Pat Bev was monopolizing more and more possessions to my memory. And he was just like, oh, I'll handle the ball more. I'll, I'll be more of a point guard. But it was D'Lo who was the one that I thought was making more of the smart passes, the smart decisions, the sort of feeling out of this guy hasn't gotten a touch in a little while. And Mike, I remember this past season with, with the Lakers, D'Lo bristled some at the idea that he was the point guard for the team. And he was saying a lot that he was just a basketball player. But... That often removed the idea of his influence in terms of feel and decision making within the unfolding of offensive possessions for the team. And one of the ways that I think that he really benefits the Lakers is that he's another smart player who understands what defenses are trying to do and understands how plays can get from from not point A to point B, but from point A to point F within the context of how the chess pieces move in order to corner someone into, in in order to corner and capture the king, right? To get to checkmate within within any given possession. And D'Lo is the guy who sees the idea of, all right, we're coming up the court. I'm running... Like I'm in the same lane as Austin right now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell Austin to stay high and I'm going to run deep corner because I see the alignment of the defense here. I'm going to run deep corner. Austin's going to get the ball. I'm going to call for it. I'm going to make the defense react to me and I'm going to pitch it right back to Austin and Austin's going to get a wide open above the break three because I saw this as we were actually coming up to the court. He's he's also the guy that sees the, oh, they're tagging AD on the roll. So what's going to be open is going to be the far side skip. And he has that pass in his arsenal and he sees these things two or three steps ahead and LeBron sees things four or five steps ahead and AD sees things three or four steps ahead. And that idea of combining all of that mental power to me is where D'Lo 
is such a good fit with this Lakers team and such a good fit next to LeBron and AD and Austin. And that's where I think a lot of the um, chemistry for this group can go. And so that's where I see his his benefit really stacking within this group. I'm going to try to harken back on his rookie year, his second year with the Lakers. So 15, 16 and 16, 17 and how different and why he was different when he came back this time. And of course, part of that is just simply time and age. He was 20 uh, when he left. He's 26 when he comes back. And over the course of being on all those different teams and, you know, being around Steph some and, and you know being around the players that Minnesota had and just experiencing more of the NBA, he he it crystallized for him what he can do in that setting in an NBA, especially in a half court setting. And the comfort level that he had when he came back was just much different. So it's there's no longer defensive looks that are going to throw him off. Like he he just sort of knows how to play now. He knows how to get the ball to to a roller. He knows how to pop out um, to take his own shot. He knows how to get the ball to a pick and pop guy. There's just stuff in his game that has evolved. So to me, what and this is not to go back on what his limitations are, but really his growth. He's found a way to be more efficient in these last couple of years. And that was, I think, what plagued him for a number of years where he was shooting 41%, 43%, 41%, even as recent as his uh, like the 21-22 season. Last year in Minnesota, he goes all the way up to 47% plus uh, nearly 40% from three. And part of it, I think, is personnel. But that's that was what we saw continue when he came to the Lakers. And also part of that is because so much of the way the defenses play the Lakers, which they will next year too, Pete, is they have LeBron and AD. They're going to pack the paint. There are going to be some more shots on the perimeter that are just open because that's how you play them. And if they if they if teams switch that, which you just hinted at this year, then that can only benefit the Lakers, I think, in other ways. But I think that's part of why it works so well when he came over in those regular season contexts is that. A, he's taking a little bit better shots. He's not asked to do everything or to be that sort of number two overall pick. Hey, go out there and carry us, you know, which got which took him to taking some or led him to taking some bad shots at times. Uh, And I think that a lot of those have gone away uh, and he's taking better shots. They're more open because of who he's playing with on the Lakers. And, you know, that's that's been that's a big difference in the player that was even a couple of years ago to the one that's now going into this season, which I believe is his ninth in the NBA. God, time flies. That's incredible. That whole idea of like him learning the game and and understanding how he fits in and not having to be like the guy who takes over an offense, I think fits in really well in the LeBron AD type of dynamic. Part of when he was bristling at the idea of being the point guard is that that's one of the things that makes him a really, really good player is he's a couple of different players rolled into one, Mike. Like he can be a shooting guard on some nights and a point guard guard on others. And he understands when he needs to be what, you know? And so that- oh, Pete, Pete, if I can jump in just on the point guard spot, I what I took his comments about the point guard thing to be were, I can, I can do that. I'm just not asked to. More so than that, like, I don't want to, yes. you know? Like, like, don't call me the point guard. We have three or four players that can be the point guard at times. Like, I've got that. I can be your lone point guard. But like, that's not how this this team is type of thing. He was that he was almost annoyed at the idea that they would single anybody out. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that is one of the strengths of the team. And that's I I think that's where this team can be great. I haven't said this on the pod yet. uh, And I've been wanting to. 
I think this team can win 60 games. Now, that would require a certain degree of health and, and a certain things to go right and as to nail some lineups, right? I get it. But I think that the talent level on this team combined with just a certain level of, of focus from the beginning and ha- and continuity, I think this team has a great deal of, of capability that will be built on... Darius, you're cracking up over there. You, you stole my thunder is did, why. Did I really? It's because I was literally just thinking this like a day and a half ago. And I was just like, oh, I, I got to talk to Pete and Mike about the idea that I think that this team can win like in between like 58 and 62 games. Yeah. And it was just something that came to me because I was looking at I was looking at the roster. I'm going to have some posts that go up at Lakers.com in the lead up to training camp. And so I've been looking more mm-hmm. closely like at the roster and just like all the ways that the guys fit. And I was just like, oh, yeah. I'm going to talk to Pete and Mike about this. And so here's Pete. So saying, I, I see it so, too. That's so cool that you, that you see something similar. Now, Mike. And now I, I, I got to be, and now I got to be the wet, the Bon Temps wet blanket no. over here, <laughs> but not quite seeing the, but Pete, go ahead. I, all I was going to say is that the health issues, like it would take perhaps yes. miraculous help. So the caveat, I think we should win at a 60 win pace when LeBron and AD are healthy. Does that sound more reasonable and less uh, wet blankety? Uh, I, I just think that the West has at least 11 good teams. Uh, and of the teams that are bad, two of them could be pretty good. Like uh, that would be Houston and Utah, or at least tough sure. to go into their building and win. Um, even in the East, there just aren't that many bad teams. Like Orlando, Charlotte, Detroit can all be plucky in their building. So sure. I just don't see this. I don't see this as a season that anybody um, can get close to that type of uh, of wins like Denver last year won 53 games right and was first in the West. Milwaukee did win 58. The East was a little weaker last year um, at the bottom at least. So to me, I, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with how the Lakers fit, like the talent that mm-hmm. they have. Assuming health for LeBron and AD, which of course has not been there, um, I'm just I, I don't think that any team is going to be able to get to that to that point. So I, like I have the Lakers with Phoenix and Denver in a tier as we discussed, mm-hmm. but I I think that that's asking a lot uh, even even with presumed health. It's not it's not even a, a prediction necessarily, right? It's more like yeah. a, this team is capable of this. If you look at how the team fits so on just paper. just acknowledging the talent and acknowledging the fit is yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, it's like okay. I think it's within reach, right? I also think that we were having conversations a year ago about things that were possible, about where this team could go and where it could be. And it's like, oh, no, no, that's not. When you limit what you're capable of. Well, you know, you're, Pete, you're right about last last year, like the, the roster – had an absolute this does not work and does not oh, fit so there, a trade no has to happen this year is totally different in that sense like this roster on it we think there's the one weakness with the backup big type thing but it's it's good enough right now you know for them to really make a run and even the roster though mike like the whole idea that the lakers could be a year later in a much healthier position with the roster that everybody likes short term and long term one year ago today would have seemed completely out of the realm of possibility. And so I guess my point is that we've all been fawning over the talent on this team, right? Over the course of this summer and yay, Lakers had such a good summer. I thought we had a better trade deadline. Eh, We can get into it later. But if that's true, like the flip side to your point, Mike, about there not being a lot of bad teams in, in the league, and I totally agree with that, is I watched what a misshapen and messed up team we were last year. And I remember thinking, and we had conversations like this over the text thread, like, how the hell are we still in the playoff 
race. Yeah. Like I, I came away from last season with a certain amount of disrespect for the rest of the the conference, right? And that like, how are y'all not running away from us? Like y'all aren't that good. If that's if we're still in this and able to get to the Western Conference Finals on uh, like Denver, De- put Denver completely in a different. They are a legit good team, and that's why they whooped our ass. Let's take a break. Uh, we'll keep it going. And let's bring this back to Dilo. So here's the thing is in sort of trying to be the bridge between what the team is and and what D'Lo is, there are several players, I think, that help incrementally bring the Lakers to a place where they can be greater than the sum of their parts. That's right. And, and he's key D'Lo, Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why that upper echelon of wins seems possible to me not that it's going to happen but it seems possible it's within the realm of possibility and not like oh well we're gonna go colonize mars next year (laughs) right realm of possibility like it's within reach it's within reach far reach you might need Doslam stretching arm. Hey, let's, let's build a ladder. Let's build a ladder. That's yes. yeah. Man, first Street Fighter Two reference of the season. <laughs> um, I'll be I'll be up in the Bay, Darius, in about two weeks. If uh, if you're available, I'll bring I'll bring oh, the man. Nintendo to the hotel. Just let me out. So when I'm looking at D'Lo, it's just like the next step between these guys and what do they need from you for you to do your your job. One one of the key stats I was looking at with D'Lo is like, look at his two-point field goal percentage over the course of his career. And it's always been sub-50. It's been sub-50 every season. Last season was the first season it was over 50%. And it wasn't just like, oh, mm-hmm. he's shooting 51%. He shot almost 55% from two-point range. Least to Mike's point, yeah. And so that idea of like, I have found something. Now, we'll see if that's sustainable when something is the outlier versus what the rest of the career is. It's very easy to say like, oh, well, that's the thing that's never going to happen again. And like the thing that's happened this whole, these seven other years, that's the norm. But there's also a time where something actually does click for a guy. And what happens now from now moving forward is what I've just shown you that that I can do. And when we were talking earlier, Mike, about like D'Lo not being sped up, D'Lo has refined his craft as a big guard. And the idea of like, I'm going to be able to get to this spot, I can play off balance and still get my shot off. And this is a quality shot from mid range. And his ability to get to the rim a little bit more and finish with a little bit more efficiency. All of those things stack up within the context of him as an individual player to make him more efficient. Those same things apply to the Lakers as a group. And when is is it too optimistic to say that every single one of these guys is going to find a, be, a slightly better version of themselves in order for the Lakers to be an upper echelon team? Sure, that's probably too optimistic, and that's not likely to will to happen. But I do look at D'Lo as sort of this pathway for some of these other players as well to sort of say like these are the incremental improvements that you can make within the context of this specific team and who your specific teammates are playing in this specific system in order to be a bit better than the version of yourself that you were in 
Portland or New York if you're Cam Reddish, or in New Orleans if you're Jackson Hayes, or in Minnesota if you're Torian Prince, right? Like there are ways for these guys to be a little bit better versions of themselves when you're playing next to LeBron and AD and D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves. And they all sort of combine to, I think, have a path here. Yeah. So Russell... Is he? Is there still another level that he can get to? We've talked about kind of in some of those big games or in a playoff context, but has he figured out a certain part of his game where we were talking about the efficiency, Darius, from two and from three that will stick? And, and I think that's an absolute yes. I, I just think that he's yeah. just watching him play, go back and pick any game from like the 2021 season. He just looks different. He looks different the way the command that he has and sort of the, the flow that he gets in on the court. So I, I do think that that's real, like the the upper trajectory that started in, at the beginning of uh, of the 21 season and kind of got to where it was the end of the 23 season. Um, I think that that's there. He's D'Lo's going to miss, you know, 10 to 15 games uh, with knock on wood, some minor stuff. And mm-hmm. I also think the team is equipped well enough um, if he does miss a little bit of time. Um, and this is mostly with Gabe Vincent, you know, being able to step in. And uh, or just asking a little bit more of Christie or we'll see what Reddish does. I'm, I'm Darius alluded to a piece that he wrote where he kind of gets into detail about Christie um, and Reddish in that context. So I think that there there's enough support everywhere on this team for Russell to be the player that he was after the All Star break with the Lakers and that he was in Minnesota, uh, which made them want him, I, I think, relative to just sticking with they could have stuck with the Conley uh, in that deal, I think, possibly. So. Uh, I don't know if that answers your question directly, Darius, but I I think that it, he's gotten to a he's gotten to a point where we know what to expect, and the coaches know what to expect, and his teammates know what to expect, and it's pretty reliable. Um, the the major question is just that if if he did watch that Denver series back and see the difference between the player that responded, you know, sort of to mm-hmm. Bruce Brown in that in that instance versus the one that he has kind of gotten himself to a level of consistency. I'm just going to play this way and damn be it everything else. This is good enough. I am with you on the like the percentages being sustainable. And I think it's built on what you were saying earlier, Mike, about like him knowing when to do what. That's something that when you watch D'Lo on tape, he is that guy you were talking about earlier, D, like a step ahead, even within a possession. He's like, he'll, he does this like push ahead dribble to get to the basket when he knows that like the dig man isn't coming over and there's going to be a gap right here. And he hits it. He hits the hole very assertively. And so he'll get to the basket and get layups and clean looks of which that him being kind of one step ahead in the sequence, I think on a team that has other guys that fits that too, I think that they, I think that that is, has a multiplying effect. And that's part of the reason why I think that this Lakers team on the offensive end in particular, I think the idea that they can, that they can reach 60 wins is built on, I think they can be a great offense and we have Anthony Davis and we have Jared Vanderbilt and some good yeah. two-way players and Gabe Vincent and Austin Reeves and Mike. And, and so we wanted a 55-win pace last year with D'Angelo was miss, missed those games that you were talking about, that 10 to 15 games. LeBron did not play uh, several of those games. And with the group last year just kind of thrown together, that was a 55-win pace. And so, Mike, yeah, that's that's something I think D'Lo is going to be a big part of that if this is a great offense. Well, I'm, this is where I'm going to, I'm going to pretend like I'm a talk radio caller. I'm going to ask a question and then, and then turn off my, you know, just hang up and listen uh, to both <laughs> uh-huh. of you on this. But 
a lot of the ways that when I talk to people outside of the Lakers and whether it's uh, friends that cover other teams or people around the league, it's it, they often pointing to sort of, can you have a great offense with LeBron and AB um, on, on the court and the, the sort of lack of shooting relative to what some other teams have there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like, can you, because it hasn't been there just in terms of the, like the, the offensive rating, right. The last couple of years, including for much of the postseason. So how, with the personnel that they brought in, how does that make enough of a difference if it's still LeBron and AD with some of those limitations to the point where the offense is the thing that's leading more, whereas clearly defense was what got them there. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to hang up and listen. Um, I, I want to hear points from both of you on this as I as I continue to ponder um, the overall point here. Well, I'm glad you brought up defense, Mike, because we've done a little bit of fawning, I think, over D'Lo and and this Lakers team, and in a lot of ways, rightfully so, but it has been mostly offense-focused. And I think I mentioned this a few pods ago, and I firmly believe it, that the if the Lakers are going to win the championship, it's going to be because they have a baseline level of, like, we're going to compete mm-hmm. defensively. And that's going to be required from everyone, even the players who are up there in advanced years and have played 60,000 minutes like in the NBA, like I'm talking about LeBron, especially is like, I don't I think LeBron can compete defensively and Mm -hmm. I'm trying to not let him off the hook just because he is older, like he's an unprecedented player and I'm going to ask unprecedented things of him because I know that he can do it at the level that he did six years ago. No. Right. Right. But I think that he can still compete. And Pete, D'Lo is the guy to me where like I was I know that he can be a target and teams are going Mm -hmm. to target him if the other option is Jared Vanderbilt or if the other option is like, oh, well, let's run an action to get Anthony Davis involved. Right. No, those aren't going to be the options that they go to. They are going to target D'Angelo Russell a little bit. But I thought he showed a competitiveness defensively and an understanding of what his job was defensively at a level that is totally reasonable for this team to be a good defensive team when Mm -hmm. he's on the floor and potentially being a great defensive team in over the course of enough minutes to really be like, we're going to get after it. And and, and so I don't know if that 100% answered Mike's question, but I think all of the players are going to need to sort of channel that idea of we need to be a defensive team and we need to get after it defensively. And that's going to involve D'Lo, but it's also going to involve Austin. It's going to involve Gabe Vincent. It's all all of these guys. They're all going to need to access that. Yeah. So that that definitely answers the defensive part, which means I can lean on Pete also for the like, how does the offense with LeBron and AD on there end up being good enough uh, end up being that efficient when it hasn't been like that in the past in this LeBron AD era, like in terms of the best yes. teams in the league for offensive wise, like how does, how does this team different and how does it get there? I think that up until this point, we have been really unconventional in terms of the talent on the team, in terms of jump shooting relative to the rest of the league, and also like lineup choices and schematic stuff, of which we won a championship on, right? But like putting JaVale McGee at the five has a domino effect on the shooting of your team, right? That had to be countered and made up for by two shooters in KCP and Danny Green in the backcourt. Avery Bradley had a, a lesser role in, in this respect and wasn't part of the, the playoff run, of course. But LeBron was essentially our point guard on that team. You have the two shooters in the corner, two bigs on the floor, right? Um, and so 
those choices, though, in that 2020 team, relative to other teams that have won the title before and since, had less shooting on the court in terms of personnel on a regular basis. Then we acquired Dennis Schroeder as our main pickup. We go from Danny Green to Dennis Schroeder, which is a downgrade in terms of jump shooting. So you've taken the thing you're already a little bit unusual at and gone the other way. You counter that by adding Marc Gasol, but then you go the other direction in the middle of the season and then go Andre Drummond, right? And so then you make a trade the next summer for Russell Westbrook, the main example of a guard who teams are going to sag off of. You look at our roster, guys, like we were really unusual in terms of our shooting talent. And this is why I've been hopping up and down about this. And this is the first time where I don't think we have like the most shooting talent in the NBA or anything like that. But I think that it's it's way more conventional than it's ever been relative to any other year in the LeBron and AD era. And so part of figuring out how that looks and how that works will be the challenge, because I think that path to 60 wins is through having a great offense. That said. We got to wrap up here, but I also don't think that this current roster is the championship favorite. Winning 60 games doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win the title and in the playoffs, but I think our path to doing it is through having a great offense. And so we're going to talk a lot about more about that. We will be back on Friday, but until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. Magic fires, it's in, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Three seconds left, Van Exel to win it, it's on the way, good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's, There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.